0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Open your Bibles up to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be considering verses 1 to 5 together today. My name is Jason Locke. I get the privilege of overseeing youth and young adults ministry with an amazing group of small group leaders and uh, today, um, I am preaching in Pastor Paul's stead as he is on vacation with his wife. And um, now, what we're doing today, though, uh, I want to let you know that I wouldn't normally advocate what we're about to do in your personal Bible study, okay? We're jumping in in Galatians chapter 6, and uh, Pastor Paul um, is preaching currently through 1 uh, Peter, and he's doing it the right way, starting at verse chapter one, verse one, and then just going to the end. Um, if we're not careful, starting at like the end of a book, like we are today, can kind of like be jumping into uh, the last 15 minutes of, mo- of a movie, having missed the first two hours of it. And you're just sitting around, it's like, who's that? Why is he shooting at him? Is that the bad guy? And everyone's, if you knew, if you came on time, you would have known these things, So in order that we can have a correct understanding of really what's going on here, I'm gonna give you a a brief synopsis of um, the previous chapters of the book of Galatians so that we can really understand the text that we have today. The book of Galatians is actually a letter written to uh, the church of Galatia uh, by a man named Paul, the apostle Paul. And he wrote to them to uh, correct Um, error that was in the church. There were some people in the church who um, believed in Jesus, yet came from a Jewish tradition, a Jewish background. You might know this Jewish tradition or background as the Pharisees. Um, And the Pharisees had a strict, very strict um, belief that they must follow the law of Moses. They strictly held to the law of Moses. But yet we understand that when Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, he fulfilled himself the law of Moses and he fulfilled all of the prophets that followed Moses. Jesus is the fulfillment. Yet these people coming from the Pharisaical Jewish tradition are like, you can believe in Jesus, but then you gotta keep to this law. You gotta keep to this moral system of moral performance and even though Jesus fulfilled all of that. So Paul wrote to them to correct this error, contrasting the law and their error with the truth of the gospel. He said, it's no longer about the law anymore. It's about the promise of grace. He said, it's no longer about works anymore. It's about faith. As a result, we're no longer slaves, but we are adopted children of God. And then he took that uh, Truth and applied it to the believers personally saying, um, it's no longer about your moral performance anymore. It's no longer about the works of the flesh. It's about walking in the newness of the spirit. And that is the uh, passage you may know as the fruits of the spirit in Galatians 5, which leads us from a personal application to now a corporate, public, application in Galatians chapter 6, where we're going to understand another contrast of a Christian community that's operating in the flesh and a Christian community that operates in the spirit. So understanding this background, um, let's stand in honor of God's word as we read together Galatians 6 verse 1 to 5. This is God's word. It speaks to us today and it says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize that we can be so self-righteous and so concerned about our performance and our appearance, even as followers of Jesus who have believed in the grace, the free gift. Lord, forgive us, forgive me for making it about myself so that I can boast in me. Lord, help us to understand, teach us by your spirit so that we might know what a spirit-led, burden-bearing, cross-boasting community looks like, that we would let go of our righteous, our self-righteousness and press on in grace. Humble us, expose our hearts, yes, heal, yet heal us with grace and truth today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can take your seats. Remember, this is a contrast. This is a contrast. And I ask you, uh, did you come today with heavy burdens? I know I often come to church with heavy burdens and church should be the place where we let go of our burdens. The burdens that we're referring to that the text is speaking of specifically is the, the weight of our sinful flesh. Um, I know what I should do, but I don't do it. And I keep doing the thing I want me to do that I, that I I don't do what's right. That that weight is heavy on our shoulders. And verse one and two shows that in a spirit-led community, we're going to bear each other's burdens. But the contrast in verse three to five is there may be a time where you're actually bearing your own burdens. And in order to Understand when that would be. We're going to let the text unfold itself, but I'll present to you first a summary of both these two, okay? A summary first of the spirit led community has this attitude. If we boast in the cross and depend on grace and faith, then we will stand in freedom from our sin, be filled with the Spirit, and invest in burden bearing relationships in fulfillment of the Lord's command to love one another but here's the contrast. If we boast in our self-righteousness and depend on our moral performance, then we will be shackled in slavery to the corruption of my sinful nature and bully others to fulfill my command to conform to a loveless moral system. Those are the contrasts. Let's look at verse one to two and understand the ideal of bearing each other's burdens. Verse one to two reads, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. All right, so we understand that the burdens that we are bear are our sin. What we don't want to do, yet we still do it. But I think it's first important to ask the question, why? Why? Why should you care about my lifestyle Why should you care about the decisions that I make, whether they are immoral or whether they are moral? And if they're immoral, then leading me to be morally upright. This is the bearing the burdens thing. Why why do we care about that? Now, this is foundational and it's crucial. And you need to understand this, especially if you stand here today and you're like, I'm not a Christian, I'm kind of just testing out this Christianity thing. You need to get this. There's a huge misconception about how we gain our salvation, our justification, our mercy from God, the path to heaven, the whatever you want to call it. It's not by moral performance. The people that stood there on the water today did not get there because they reached some level of moral quality or performance. Because the Bible teaches that all of humanity, myself and yourself, we all stand guilty before a holy God. Guilty of our inherited, corrupt, sinful nature and guilty for our intentional, active rebelliously lawless lifestyle. Because of our inherited lawlessness and our act of lawlessness, we all stand guilty before God and the verdict has been rendered death. Physical death, yes, but spiritual death also. But a solution was offered. A solution was offered through Jesus Christ. The son of God came from heaven to earth and he, though we um, corrupt and lawless and guilty under the law, he lived a morally perfect life under the law. Flawless, innocent, blameless, yet he willingly died a criminal's death on the cross. He willingly died a criminal's death because he said that I will become your substitution. I will be willingly inflicted with the punishment that you deserve. But the punishment, death did not beat Jesus. Jesus overcame our death by his resurrection unto newness of life. So... Jesus has moral righteousness by his own work. He has defeated the power of sin and death. And in his resurrection, he has authority to give it to anyone who would come to him by faith alone as a free gift and not based on anything you could ever do. If you today here understand this, you acknowledge your guilt before God, then believe that Jesus died on your behalf and it's enough. Believe that Jesus rose from the grave and if you do, he will give you his perfect righteousness. He will strip you of your sinful nature and before God, you will not be guilty and condemned, but you will be free from condemnation forgiven in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Have you believed? It's available for you today. You don't need to come forward and get it from me. You, in your seat right now, you can believe and it's yours. Believe. It's not about moral performance, but it's grace through faith. Okay, that only eliminates one option of why we uh, shouldn't bear each other's burdens, or why we should bear each other's burdens. Um, It's by grace, through faith. So why do we bear each other's burdens? Why do we care about living a morally upright way? Well, the answer is in chapter 5, verse 24 and 25. So just look a little back, and we'll understand. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, is that you? Do you belong to Christ Jesus? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified uh, the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. The reason that we bear each other's burdens is because you have new life and you're walking a new path. And, friends, we cannot do it on our own. We cannot. Uh, There's a picture coming up on the screen. This is my small group that I attend on Wednesday nights uh, at Raymond and Letitia's house. Not everybody's there, but most of them. And uh, I love my small group because they help bear my burdens. They know my sinful tendencies and I'm grateful that I can be open with like the nitty gritty, dirty things of my heart and they don't stand in judgment of me. They point me towards grace. They point me to Christ. I'm prone to make it about my own performance because if it was about me, I'd have something to boast in. But I'm so grateful for the men in the group, for Raymond, for Edward, for Jeff, for Omar, for Dan, and for Jeremy. When I am prone to wander, they set my mind back on the cross. The church needs spirit-led, burden-bearing, cross-boasting communities. You need it because self-righteousness spreads like a virus in the pool of isolation. We like to say here at Harvest, we're not a church just with small groups. It's something like we do here and there. We're a church of small groups. Um, Some of you may have been attending Harvest for a long time. Uh, Some of you maybe you're like more recent and you're starting to understand this small group thing. But others, like you've been here for like a year or more and we talk about small groups often and you're... Still not in it. And i got to be honest, friends, it's, it's really hard to call harvest home if you're not doing life with the family, but maybe you're like, Jason, you don't know, um, I, I've, I've done this before and I've, I've been hurt bad and I've been backstabbed and betrayed and i really don't want to do it again. And you know, I understand that tension truly. And I don't say it doesn't happen here. But when we make our communities about moral performance and how I appear and me looking holy and more holy, than when it's about moral performance, betrayal and hurt will happen more frequently. But when we boast in the cross and we're about grace, there's level ground and judgment is gone. Let's not be about that. This shouldn't be the anomaly in the church. This should be the norm in the church. That's the why. Why do we bear each other's burdens? Because we have new life and we need each other. Let's answer the who, all right? When you read Galatians 6, it says, um, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, the transgressor, in a spirit of gentleness. Um, Curious question. Am I the, 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 the transgressor needing my burdens to be borne? Or am I the spiritual guy? I know my own heart, and I know my own mind, and like often I don't feel like the spiritual guy. And maybe you, like which, which one are you? Well, chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 helps us define these roles. So get your eyes back in the text, and look at verse 16. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh to keep. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I think this helps us understand that um, whether pastor or parishioner, small group leader or small group member, old in the faith or young in the faith, anyone can be the one who needs their burdens to be borne, or anyone can be the one who bears someone else's burdens. Who you are where you are now depends on are you walking in the spirit? The spiritual person isn't an elite Christian, but it's the one who at the time of need is walking in the spirit. Uh, the transgressor in, in need of their burdens to be born isn't an inferior Christian, but the one who at the time of the need is walking in their old sinful desires of the flesh. Which one are you today? I feel a a kinship to uh, the struggles of the apostle Peter. Um, The Lord used this man mightily, powerfully to impact the church. But dude had high highs and like low lows. And I totally feel like it can be the same. One of these, uh, this is seen Pretty much clearest in Matthew uh, chapter 16. Um, in uh, one verse, um, Jesus asks his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds in such a way that Jesus um, responds to him and says, The only way you could have known that is if you had direct revelation from the Father himself. Like, high, high. Seven verses later, <laughs> Jesus says, uh, hey, soon I'm gonna die on the cross. And then Peter pulls him aside and he's like, no, Lord, don't say this. And then Peter responds to him in such a way as the only reason that you would say that is if you were being led by the devil. High highs, low lows. The Lord used him powerfully, but I, I can feel that. There are times where I am in desperate need. There are times where I can offer help for those in need, and you are the same. Where do, where do you find yourself today? Don't hide your burdens. Let's bear our burdens. Luckily for us, the Bible not only answers why and who, but it also gives us direction with how, okay? How, and again, the answer is in verse one. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, how? In a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. How do we bear each other's burdens? Write this one down. Number one, with the goal of restoration, okay? Restoration is being brought back to a right place. In this circumstance, the wrong place would be walking by the flesh and my sinful desires. The right place is walking by the spirit. And how do we do that? How do we get someone back to the spirit? Well, if you see a brother wandering... If you see a sister wandering, help them fix their eyes back on the cross. My wife and I uh, got married this past summer and went on a honeymoon to Jamaica, and we went on this really cool excursion, went ATVing and horseback riding in one day. And I thought I was like, it's my third time horseback riding, but if there was like a chart graph of how I'd been doing my three times, like it just went like, phew. Like, I did so good this time. I did good, at. I think I did good at least, riding the horse because like, I held the reins real tight, right? And if the horse wanted to go this way, I'm like, uh-uh, we're going this way, right? And I would kick it and then we would go. But those who weren't doing well, they weren't holding the reins tight, they were holding the reins loose. So that when the horse's head turned, they were just like, why aren't you going? And then it would go off its own way. It's like, obviously, the deci- the re- what you do is hold the reins tight, pull them back in. Right? Otherwise, it's just going to eat every blade of grass it sees. And guess what? It's the same with our hearts. If our eyes are not fixed on the cross, then your, your eyes will go to gratify whatever it sees. Your body will satisfy it with itself with the first thing that it craves. And your ego will just be propped up with whatever ever will boost it. And when you see a brother, when you see someone wandering off to gratify their flesh, gently get your eyes back on the cross. You're dead to these things. Get your eyes back on the cross. How do we bear each other's burdens with a goal of restoration? How, write this down also, with a spirit of gentleness. It says, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Do me a favor and turn your Bibles to John 8, okay? John chapter eight. This is the only place uh, we're really going other than Galatians today. Uh, But we're going here because John 8 shows us a perfect picture of gentleness expressed in Jesus' life by grace and truth. In John chapter one, verse 17, uh, it says that the law came through Moses Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We're in 8 verse 7. I'll give you a brief summary of verse 1 to 6. So these Pharisee people don't like Jesus and they want to test him to throw him off his high, you know, he's God and they want to test him. All right, bad place to start anyway, but they do it anyway. So they find a woman, uh, maybe even laid a trap for a woman who's caught in adultery and then bring her and throw her before Jesus. And with rocks raised in the air says, The law says we should condemn this woman to death. What do you say, Jesus? I love how Jesus responds. First, he just levels the playing field. Grace does that. Grace levels the playing field. Verse seven, as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who's without sin be amongst the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote out on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before her. He levels the playing field, and then he speaks truth and grace. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Here's what grace and truth does. Grace pronounces to someone their standing in the righteousness of Christ. And truth calls them because of grace to renounce their sinful lifestyle and press on in the spirit. And the same should be true when you find a brother or sister in Christ that has been caught in transgression. Remind them, you are a new creation in Christ. It doesn't matter how deep your sin is and how hard you try, it's based on what Jesus did. So because of that, go away from that into your newness of life. Bear burdens with the goal of restoration, with a spirit of gentleness, finally. Bear burdens with a humble caution. Back in Galatians 6, It says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. At this moment, you might be the person, and I pray you are, who restores someone with a spirit of uh, gentleness. But don't think highly of yourself because tomorrow you could be the one caught in transgression who needs restoration. Have humble caution. Why? Why do we bear each other's burdens? Because we have new life and we need each other. How, or excuse me, who? Any one of us can be the transgressor. Any one of us can be the restorer, walk in the spirit. How? With a goal of restoration, with a spirit of gentleness and with humble caution. This brings us to the contrast, verse three to verse five. Um, And it demands us to ask, like, let's, let's read it and see. It's, it's so different. Verse three, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to, be bo- to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Verse three says that in a spirit-led community, we're bearing each other's burdens. And then verse five says, somehow we get a... A contrast where there may be a time where you are left to bear your own burdens. So the question is, when? When would this be? Verse one and two is God's design for spirit-led, burden-bearing, cross-boasting relationships. This should be the norm, not the anomaly. But there is a time when we have to bear our own burdens. Remember that summary that I mentioned at the beginning, this is it. You will bear your own burdens when, if I boast in my self-righteousness and depend on my moral performance, then I will be shackled in slavery to my sinful nature and bully others to my command to conform to a loveless moral system. That's when we will bear our own burdens. Is that you? Simply, are you boasting in the cross or are you boasting in your self-righteousness? Verse three says, these people um, think they're something when in reality, they're nothing. And not only do they have an empty pride, but they have an empty pride that deceives themselves. Um, It's kind of like you just finished watching one season of a medical TV drama and then you think you're qualified to go to the hospital and hand your resume in for an emergency room surgeon. Deceptive, empty, something when they're nothing. Church, we are all prone to this. I am so prone to this. The vice of my heart is thinking that there are no vices in my heart. I can so quickly think that I have the ability to preach people to heaven. I serve with an amazing team of small group leaders in youth and young adults ministry, but I can so easily carry myself. I might not say this with my words, but I can carry myself in such a way where I think that I'm the standard of holiness they should attain to and not Jesus. Is this you? this mindset will cause us to bear our own burdens. But understand this, the burdens that we bear when you bear your own burdens, isn't that you have to carry the weight of your own sin. Because frankly, in our deceptive hearts, we think we can do that. The burdens that we bear when we bear our own burdens is the humbling realization that in God's accounting books, all of our boasting and our moral performance will be filed under vanity. If we're going to rid ourselves of our self-righteousness and our moral performance to conform to a moral system absent of grace, then we need to take two steps back and test our hearts. Let's take the first step back and evaluate our work. Verse three again says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself but let each one test his own work. This testing of our own work evaluates the work of your Christianity. How does your Christianity operate itself on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis? In this test, you can't rely on your parents. You can't rely on your spouse. Your position doesn't matter. Your performance doesn't matter you take the test alone. And the test is found in verse 7 to 8. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Here's the test of how our Christian life operates. What are you sowing? Oh, sowing is often an image used in the Bible to show uh, progressive spiritual growth. It's not like sowing, like needle thread sowing, right? It's like seeds, ground, sowing the seeds, right? Can we got that clarification? Okay, good. Um, so there's a simple equation that Bible writers use um, when they use this image to see if there's growth. Good seed, this is the equation, good seed plus good soil equals good fruit, and the fruit is the test of our growth. If we're operating in our Christian life where we are boasting in the cross, depending on grace and living by faith, we're going to have an attitude that's something like, all I have and all I can ever have is a free gift. It was gained by Jesus, I did nothing for it, so I'm gonna live by faith in him. That attitude fits the equation well. What you are sowing in that instance is to the spirit and what you will reap is from the spirit. It will be satisfying, enduring life. Here's the opposite. If we're operating from my corrupt, sinful flesh, and I'm operating based on my moral performance, your attitude is gonna be something like, we all gotta be holier, because the more holier I am, the more God will love me and the more favor we will have. I just gotta do more for God and then it'll be good. That equation does not fit. What you are sowing, the seed being scattered, is your sinful flesh is a corrupt nature. And what you reap back is corruption. Specifically, what you will reap is weariness. It says in verse nine, let us not grow weary of doing good. But if you're sowing to your flesh, friends, very soon one of three things will happen. You might think it's okay for now and you're boasting yourself and you you might be able to maintain it for a little bit of time Very soon, one of three things will happen. First, you will grow weary, you will burn out, and you will blow out. I'm done with this Christian thing. I'm done with this church thing. I'm done with this small group thing. I don't see anything happening. I give so hard and I'm so tired, I'm done. Yeah, because you're sowing out of your flesh. Number two, and I pray that this would not be indicative of our church. This is even worse than the last one, some might say. We'll grow weary, but because this is all you know, you're gonna accept mediocrity. And you'll live for the rest of your life content in being discontent, and the only joy you will have is in your bitterness. That's what happens when you sow to the flesh, when you don't depend on grace or Lord willing, I pray that you would be and find this third place. Lord, please let it be us. You will grow weary, but your loving father will step in and will discipline you. He will break you. I I hope you are able to experience the discipline of the Lord. It hurts so much to see the wickedness of my heart. But if I do not see it, I will persist in corruption. And I pray that the Lord would discipline you if this is where you are. That's just the first test. There's another. We're evaluating our work, but now we're gonna step back and we're asking, if we are working in this way out of our flesh, what are you boasting in? What are you boasting in? Verse four says, let everyone test his own work. We did that. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. If you're sowing out of your flesh, what are you boasting in? This test is found in verse 12 to 14. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, force you to conform to their moral system. And only in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not desire themselves to keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This is a devastating decline. Not only if this is true for you, not only are you Uh, in an empty pride that deceives yourselves, but you're sowing corruption and you will reap corruption and what you're boasting in is your flesh. I'll say it another way. If you sow to corruption and you're maintaining this and you're proud of it, you're boasting in the anti gospel. I hope if you hear that, you would recoil in your heart like, no, 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 I'm not boasting of myself. I'm not boasting in the anti-gospel. I'm, I'm working as hard as I can, I'm, I'm, but I wanna boast for, gee. You might not say it with your words. I definitely did when I didn't find myself in this place. But what you don't say with your words, you prove with your actions. How many of us consider that we have attained to a level of spiritual elitism that when a brother is caught in transgression, our first response isn't for the restoration, but judgment on them because they can't match our level of holiness. How many of us tell others that they should be reading their Bibles, but we are rarely abiding in Jesus ourselves. How many of us act like we have a sincere love for one another with our facial expressions and our words But in our minds, we criticize minor details about their character and appearance to make ourselves look better. How many of us try so hard to pray so eloquently in public, but are silent when we are in private? Do these actions reflect your heart? It may be that you are boasting in the anti-gospel. Church, this is a passage of contrasts. Verse three to five, the reality of it is so heavy. If I boast in my self-righteousness and depend on my moral performance, then I will be shackled in slavery to the corruption of my sinful nature and bully others to conform to a loveless moral system. This may be true for you today as it has been of my, of me but I believe in better things for our church. I have hope for you who are in Christ Jesus if you find yourself in this place today. If you are preaching the anti-gospel to yourself, If you are operating in verse three to five and you know you wanna be in verse one to two, then you desperately need your mind saturated and renewed in Galatians chapter two, verse 19 to 21. So please turn your Bibles just two pages over to the left and we're gonna bathe ourselves in this gospel truth together. Lord, give us relief, give us peace, give us hope in the strength of grace. Paul says in Galatians 2, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It's no longer Jason Locke who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I don't live by moral performance. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose. Saturate your mind in this. Get your Bible out and highlight it today. Put it to memory. Remember brother in Christ. Remember weary sister. You have died to the law. You have died to the need to perform to a moral system. Your standing doesn't depend on you. It's been earned and won and will always be maintained by the finished work of Jesus Christ. You are alive in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is alive in you. So you need not sow to the flesh anymore, but sow from the spirit because Jesus is alive in you. You live by faith, by the faith in the one who loves you. Maybe you just need to hear this today, the one who loves you despite how much you failed, the one who loves you despite how hard you tried but can never reach it, he's won it, he loves you. I live by faith in that. For the sake of your own faith, for the sake of your small group, for the sake of our church, for the sake of the gospel, Do not try to void faith by the means of your self-righteousness and moral performance. Let your boast be in the cross. If we boast in the cross and depend on grace and faith, then we will stand in freedom from our corrupt nature, filled with the spirit, and we will invest into burden-bearing, spirit-led, crossed, boasting relationships in fulfillment of Christ's command for us to love one another. Church, let our boast be in the cross alone. Stand with me and let's pray together. It's Jesus, only Jesus, Father in heaven, there is nothing else. Let there be no other name and that is shouted from our lungs. Let there be no other name by which we build our lives. Let there be no other name by which I serve my brothers in no other strength, but the strength of grace We praise you, Lord God, for the strength of grace. We praise you, Lord God, for the relief of grace. It satisfies all the need and it does not depend on us. Lord God, we praise you for the rest of grace. Oh Lord, might we find that peace today. Father, forgive us for our wretched self-righteousness for thinking that it depends on us and not on the grace that has been won in Jesus Christ. Lord God, turn us back to you. Discipline us if we need it, that we would no longer sow to the corruption and reap weariness, but sow to the spirit and reap life. We praise you for this cross and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.